Welcome into the Musketeer Report podcast. Paul Fritchner, Rick Roaring with you. Today is Monday, February 5th, 2024. Xavier right now coming off uh, a pretty interesting week, at least since the last time we talked to you on the Musketeer Report podcast. It was a 43-point loss at UConn. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time in this show on that game. Then it was an 88-77 to bounce-back win over St. John's at home 72 hours later after that UConn loss. And then over the weekend, a 93-68 to win at DePaul in which Quincy Oliveri scores 43 points. It's the first time a Xavier player has scored at least 40 points since Trayvon Blewett back in January of 2017 against Cincinnati. It's also, Shelby Dermer pointed out from the Enquirer, the first time a Sean Miller coached player has ever scored 40 in a game, which is kind of hard to believe given all the names that have come through and played for Sean. It's the first time Sean's ever coached a player in college that has scored 40. Uh, so, some news and, and things to talk about from the week. Rick, uh, a big week upcoming here, coming back home to play Villanova and Creighton. This is, they're all important at this point in the season, right? That they're all big going down the stretch into February. But this week just feels like it has a little bit more to it because it, by this time next week, by the time we're podcasting next Monday, it feels like we're going to know a whole lot more about where this team stands, what their bubble chances are. Right now, Xavier sits at about a 60% chance to make the tournament, a little over 40, 54%. Uh, as an at-large bid, and then they're giving them a 5.6% a chance or whatever it is to get the automatic bid to win the, the Big East tournament. So Xavier's more likely than not right now to make the NCAA tournament, but still a lot more work to do. Rick, your overall impression since the last time we podcasted, because it has been a roller coaster uh, of an eight or nine day period. Well, let's rehash that, you know, everyone wants to talk bracketology. So let's go off the jump point where you, you started there's bracket matrix has Xavier 12 spots away from the cut line. They're ranked 37th in cut Palm, Ken Palm 47th in the net. They're sitting at 12 and 10 overall tied for fifth in the biggie standings with Butler at six and five right now. So I think, you know, the question on everyone's mind from what I can tell is what does Xavier need to do to make the dance as an at large. And I think, the thing that I keep going back to is they need to win 18 games to be in the conversation legitimately. If they if they get to 17, the, their name will be thrown around. They'll be near the cut line, I think, but you're not going to feel good about their chances. If they get to 18, I think you will feel good about their chances because that will mean at, at least, I think, two more quad one wins. We'll get into that in a second. Um, but you, you're also looking at, you know, set, six more wins, I believe, Uh yeah, they're sitting or 12 and 10 overall. Yeah, so six more wins. Um, that That's where I think they need to get to to feel good about their at-large chances. You know, we can pull up the uh, the bracketologist website here that'll show the quad ones versus quad two games. There's five quad one. Yeah, there's five quad one games left. Two of them are at home, Creighton and then Marquette to end the season. And then the three away games are Seton Hall at Marquette and at Butler. Feels to me the Seton Hall game, obviously winnable. Xavier gave Seton Hall the business when they came to Cintas Center. And then the at uh, Hinkle game, it's always a toss up, but that feels like it might not be a, mad, a bad matchup for Xavier either. That game at Marquette, Probably the toughest game left on the schedule for the Musketeers. Uh, that that would be the one I would say. I, I have a hard time seeing Xavier win that game at Marquette. But also, Marquette's not a terrible matchup for Xavier. Uh, it's not the best matchup. They're not terrible. We also, like you pointed out on the board, just haven't seen them play each other yet this year. Yeah, so I, I think the reason that this week is so big for Xavier is because if you're talking about needing to stack wins down the stretch here, and it's not an easy stretch, there's no easy stretches in the Big East, but you've played your hardest games already. So this is a stretch where you feel like you could, you know, some of these games are very much winnable. And looking at the the two games upcoming, you've got a quad two game at home against Villanova, and then that quad one game at home against Creighton. Though that quad one game against Creighton, I believe, is Xavier's best chance left for a quad one win being at home and against a team that you've proven you already match up fairly well against. I think that's that's why this week is so big for Xavier, because if you're going to stack these wins like we've talked about and you're going to get a quad one win here, this feels very much like a chance to, to get on the right track and start winning some games here. I'm not saying Xavier is going to go 9-0 and to finish the season, 
But I don't see a game on this schedule outside of maybe at Marquette where I say, oh, yeah, that's a loss. It's, they don't have UConn left. I think that's fair. And, and I've talked about it a lot of times how, you know, when, when a team is one game over 500 or now they're two games over 500 and it feels like they're fighting to keep their head above water, it gets hard to talk a lot about their NCAA tournament resume. But it, it is worth noting that, you know, they have played a lot of difficult Big East games already through the first half of the, the conference slate here. And you look at the back half again, not easy, but like you said, the game at Marquette is really the only one that you look at and you say, I, I feel like they don't have a great chance there. The rest of the games feel winnable. So, um, you know, I guess the, the, the other question as it relates to bracketology before we move on, Paul is how many biggies teams do you think are actually going to make it in to the dance? Yeah, that was one thing I was looking at a little bit earlier. I I would say probably six is the number. You say UConn, Marquette, Creighton, and then from there, you, you have your pick of the next three, whether that's you know, Seton Hall. Uh, Butler seems to be on the right side of the cut line. Villanova's trending in the wrong direction, albeit they did win yesterday. The St. John's squeak in. Xavier, one of those. I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, Providence is totally going south. They're headed in the very much in the wrong direction without Bryce Hopkins. So I, I think a lot of people are talking about seven teams from the league getting in. I think seven to eight teams are in the conversation right now. I don't think that'll end up being the final number. You, know, you can see Providence right there. Rick has, if you're listening in audio form, you can go to YouTube. Uh, Rick has bracket matrix pulled up right now, which is the best bracketology pool there is. It kind of pulls together all of the uh, bracketologists into one place. Providence right there on the cut line at 12. Seton Hall's in there at 11. So you can see Butler, Villanova down there in the conversation. Xavier has a vote. So it's like all these teams are right there on the cusp. It's not like we're talking about five top-end teams that are going to get protected seeds. We're talking about a lot of teams that are very bubbly outside of the top three of Creighton, Marquette, and UConn. How many do you think get in? Yeah, I'm looking at... St. John's will get in. St. John's will get in. I think they will, but they're still on the bubble, too. I mean... Yeah, they are. You know, if they lose two games over the course of the next week or whatever, they're right in the same boat as everybody else here, uh, and and maybe even in a worse spot. So, yeah, St. John's, Seton Hall, Providence... Uh, Butler, Villanova, Xavier, six teams right there, all right around that bubble cut line. I think at least two of those are getting in. So you're looking at five teams, decent chance that three will get in and, and the Big East will have six dancing. I would say six. I, I'd say a lot of people talk about what the bracket looks like right now versus what they might predict the bracket looks like six weeks from now. I'll say prediction wise, even though that's not where it stands right now, I'll say prediction wise that the Big East ends up getting six in and, and maybe two teams go to Dayton. You know, I don't think that's totally out of the question that two teams end up in the first four in or last Okay, four so, so let me throw, when you th just threw that name out there, it made me think of this. I got a text uh, to, from one of our mutual friends before we went on this podcast. I think and, I got the exact same text. Okay, so you know where I'm going with this. How would Xavier Nation feel about a Xavier sneaking in as a 12 seed playing against five seed Dayton in the first round of this year's NCAA tournament. Well, that mutual friend that sent us that text also pointed out that Dayton would be a nightmare of a matchup for Xavier. I mean, I, you could, Deron Holmes and, and everything else that that Dayton team has. I, I, I'm not saying Xavier wouldn't win that game because I do think that I've watched a lot of Dayton this year. Uh, I, I think they're a very fun team to watch. I think Deron Holmes is a really fun player to watch. Uh, I saw a, pretty prominent Dayton fan today asking whether Deron Holmes is the best player to ever play at Dayton. And I'm not learned enough on Dayton history to know that. And I don't want this to turn into a Dayton podcast, but uh, I think Deron Holmes is very much in the conversation. At least I think he's probably a more impactful player for this team as wild as this is to say than Obi Toppin, because if Deron Holmes got hurt, they would be way worse off than that that Obi Toppin team and Obi was very very good but that team had a lot of other massive pieces that they were a great team all yeah, the way number around. one team in the country yeah they, yeah they, yeah they, yeah so that team was not just Obi Toppin this team isn't just Deron Holmes but if Deron Holmes got out I mean if he was injured this would not be a protected seed team like they're fighting for right now um they scrap I mean, and 
There are tens and tens of Xavier fans listening to this live right now. So if you guys want to chime in with your thoughts on this, I'm actually curious to know would Xavier fans want that chance to ruin Dayton's year and another, you know, because you go back to the COVID year when they were ranked number one and they missed out on that opportunity. I think a lot of Dayton fans are feeling that this is their sort of vengeance for that. This is their chance. And maybe this will be the year that they make the run to make up for that COVID year. Would you like the chance to spoil that? Or do you just want to avoid the Dayton thing altogether this year when Xavier's not at its best? I think it would be very funny if Xavier played, you know, let's just say Xavier's an 11 seed or a, a 12 seed. Say Xavier's a 12 seed, gets sent to Dayton. All the Dayton fans pack the arena. They're cheering against Xavier. But in the back of their mind, as our mutual friend pointed out, everybody in the back of their mind is knowing Xavier's on the other end, potentially playing them in the... Uh, in the first, I'll be honest. I wouldn't want to deal with it. I wouldn't want to. I, maybe I'm in the in the minority. I'm seeing you put a lot of, uh, ev- unan- I, I guess I'm unanimously in the minority. I wouldn't want to deal with it. Um, I also just have watched enough Dayton this year to know that they wouldn't be a great matchup for Xavier. I I I, uh, I wouldn't want to deal with the Flyers. They're really good. It would just be so nerve wracking. I think from a fan yeah. experience of like the last time you guys met was the perfect ending to that rivalry the 30 point yeah. win for the advocare invitational championship on a neutral floor do you want to open up the can of worms again and give them that opportunity to no. get the win in an NCAA tournament game and have the, the bigger win um to, to end it again so uh, all the comments here so far we've got bring on you d from ryan melissa says who wouldn't want to ruin dayton's year paula says of course we would crosstown miller says why not so, I mean, all the comments are saying that, you know, they, they'd love the opportunities. I just thought that was an interesting point. I, I hadn't even thought of that yet. And uh, it's probably a very remote chance. But we know how the the committee, the committee likes to say that they don't think about these storylines when they're putting together the bracket. Give me a break. They, they absolutely do. They 1,000% do. Yeah, give me a break. They absolutely do. I mean, yeah, no, I... I uh, I, the thought of, I think that's what I keep coming back to with the Dayton rivalry is that if and when they join a power conference again, then you fire that up or join a power conference at all. But the fact that the final score is what it is from that Advocare game, and that's the lasting memory of that rivalry, I'm perfectly. Now, if you win that game and you knock Dayton out of the NCAA tournament, then yeah, I'd play that game 10 times out of 10. But the the nerve wracking thought of, of, Dayton then beating you and knocking you out. Yeah, I'm good. I'm 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 good with that. All right. So All right, let's move let's, on. Yeah, let's switch gears here cuz I, I want to start this off by asking you a question. Quincy okay. Oliveri with the 43 point game at DePaul, career high for him. You mentioned it was the most a Xavier player had scored since 2017 when uh, or the first 40 point game since when Blewett did it with uh, 40 against UC in the Crosstown shootout in 2017 and the most since David West scored his 45 against Dayton. Uh, let's repeat the stat line, 43 points on 12 of 20 shooting. He was seven of 12 from three point range, which tied his career high for three pointers, 12 of 12 at the free throw line, 10 rebounds for the double double also had three assists, three steals, zero turnovers in 36 minutes of action. So Paul, I'll ask you this cause you're a little bit younger your frame of reference, the Xavier performances that you've seen are going to be fewer. Where does that stack up in terms of the the best all-time Xavier performances that you've seen? Just of ones that I've seen. I mean, Trey Vaughn's is really the one that comes to mind because what sticks out about Trey Vaughn whenever I think back to that game, and I know it was in a loss, is just how big the basket felt. And that was what Quincy kept telling us after the game is. It just felt like I couldn't miss. And that was exactly what Trey Vaughn was talking about back from that 2017 shootout was Everything was going in. You think about that shot that Trayvon hit right before halftime in that game where he just threw the ball up before the buzzer. It was like counting down toward the halftime, and it goes in. Those are the kinds of games you think of where, as a shooter, you just feel so confident. You're stepping into your shot. You feel like it's going to go in no matter hand in your face, wide open. It doesn't matter. That was the way Quincy Oliveri felt the other night. I can't think of another game like that where two shots into the game I'm sitting there with Shelby and with Adam, and I'm thinking to myself, this could be a special night. Now, did I think he was going to go for 43? No. But playing against DePaul, where Xavier felt clearly confident on the offensive end, 
and he's actively searching for his shot, being very aggressive. We talked the last time on this podcast about uh, Quincy's struggles on the road. Oh, is that Lazar's dad checking in? Uh, you told me. I, I assume there. I think it has to be. Here. <laughs> Love it. Love it, Mister uh, Mister Djokovic checking in from Serbia. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I can't read that. That's not English. But I uh, appreciate Rick and watching Paul is in there. I do see Rick and Paul. So thank I you for Rick checking in. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, I just I I can't think of another one that I like uh, that I have seen. Obviously, you go back to David West. I, I thought it was funny. Jeremy Rouse saw Steve Thomas. I don't know if you saw that quote that Jeremy tweeted out. Uh, Jeremy ran into Steve Thomas on Sunday and was asking Steve. They were kind of joking back and forth about what Steve was thinking watching that game on Saturday night. Uh, Steve has the all-time record of 50, but <clears throat> just on games that I've seen, Rick, is there something that I'm missing since 2009 that uh, that really no. rivals I mean, what Quincy did? Did you did? watch the David West performance? Like, Do you remember that from when it happened? Or did no, you watch it back? no, no. Yeah. I've, I've, I've watched it since, but not, yeah. not live. Yeah, I, I just think it's different. Like when you're in the moment and you have the full context of like how it felt and what the fans were saying and and how the teams were at that time, it's just different. It's hard to go back and compare something that you didn't experience live. And I'm not saying you had to be there at the game, but just you know watching it and understanding the, the context and all of that. For me, I think this is going to sound crazy. Like the David West is the best performance, definitely, and it's that UD Xavier rivalry, but. The Trayvon Blewett one is just hard for me to... I know it was a loss, but to do that in the Crosstown shootout, and so much of it was in that first half of that game. The way he was going in that first half, like I don't think I've ever felt a player was dominating a game more than Trayvon did in the first half of that Crosstown shootout. So I I would probably still lean that, although I like I saw the David West thing. I remember it well, like fully on board with that. I'm willing to give you the the heads up or the the nod on that being the best of all time, but that that Trayvon Blewett one for whatever reason just seems I, maybe it's because of the shootout and I hold the shootout in such high regard that the sh- that that one still sticks out to me as like the best performance or the most impressive performance that I saw. Yeah, exactly. It's and it's it's just so memorable. You think back to these crazy games. I I I can't think of one uh, that would be even anywhere close to what Trayvon did in that. And then Quincy goes for 43. He's the biggest player of the week. Um, and uh, yeah, so shout out to everybody that's listening right now. I see uh, Shu checking in from uh, Asia at 2 a.m. over there. Um, yeah. Paul, appreciate it. Yeah, go ahead. How does Quincy's season here, where we're at, I mean, he's been so good. How does this compare to the expectations we had for Quincy coming into the year? Well, like, shooting is the wise, reality of Quincy better than what we thought he would be? Because in my opinion, I think he is. Yeah, I do, because we expected him to be a shooter, but to translate to this level, I mean, you think about what uh, you think about these guys that have transferred up, right? Mid-major guys that transfer up to the high major level and maybe their role has changed it. Maybe none bigger than what we've talked about a lot with Davion McKnight, where you're the guy, you're scoring a lot, but then you come up, now you got to run the show, you still get your mid-range shot, all those things. But it took him a while to adjust and figure out what Sean Miller was exactly asking him to do. Now you have Rice's all-time leading three-point shooter who can go in, he can fire away. He'd scored 30 multiple times at Rice. But, you know, he, he is doing this night in and night out. It's not like he's putting up 20, then he'll put up eight or 10. He is the Big East's leading scorer. He is one of the best shooters in the entire country. I I can't imagine, and somebody pointed this out on your message board, I can't imagine what this team would be like without him. Think about the scoring woes of what Xavier would look like if Quincy Oliveri was not scoring almost 20 points per game. And he's doing it so efficiently most nights. He's getting to the foul line. He was 12 for 12 from the free throw line on Saturday night. It's not like he's just going out there, chucking up threes and hoping they go in. Some nights he's hot, some nights he's not. He's getting to the free throw line. He's being aggressive. I think sometimes you live with some of the some of the shots that he'll take when he's maybe a little too aggressive getting to the rim. Those are some of the things you just have to live with. But He's defended at a high level. Um, he's he's done these. He's had these games against such high levels of competition that, to me, he has far surpassed what I was expecting out of him, even just as a pure shooter coming into the year. 
I I would agree with that. And I think the biggest thing when I look at it is I watched every game he played at Rice. I watched every possession he played at Rice, not just last year, but all the years. After he committed through the transfer portal, I went, did a deep dive, watched every single possession on Synergy that he played at Rice. He's better now playing against Big East competition, playing at Xavier with better players around him. He is a better player here than he was at Rice. And that's the part that really impresses me, Paul. I, I think the combination, and this isn't to take a shot at his, his coaching staff at Rice, because he clearly has a great relationship with the head coach from Rice. And they're, yep. yeah. And so, like, this is not a shot at him at all. But I think Sean Miller and the staff at Xavier have gotten him to do things that he's never done before. And it's taken his game to another level. I think even just the strength and conditioning work that he's done since he's been at Xavier, gotten his body into elite shape to where he can sprint the length of the floor and get those points in transition. Cause that's, that's unlocked another part of his game, being able to sprint ahead and get easy baskets, whether it mean uh, not, not necessarily even baskets, but getting easy points by getting a cheap foul. He's how many times has he done that? Just ahead, just thrown his body into a defender, gotten to the free throw line, and then made a pair of free throws. That was something that he wasn't doing a lot of at Rice. He was getting to the free throw line, but they were hard-earned trips to the free throw line. He was having to play off the dribble and, and get into guys' bodies in the half court and all of that. Now, all the running and all the playing in transition that Xavier does on offense, that has really unlocked another part of his game. And that would also lead into what a few other people have brought up here in the comments defensively, he's much better than I expected him to be. Watching him at Rice and even seeing him initially when he got to Xavier, I was thinking defense is going to be a weakness of his. And it's turned out that he's really maybe Xavier's most consistent defender. Now, he's not the most talented defender. He's not as quick as like a Quincy Oliveri is or maybe even a Davion McKnight. But in terms of just adhering to the scouting report and giving a consistent, honest effort, he is probably the best on the team right now at that. Yeah. Uh, and I did think it was very funny, Sean, joking after the game. I guess we should clarify. Oh, yes, I knew. We need to I, this. So I knew what I was doing when I tweeted this out. I did not anticipate so many people taking it seriously on Twitter. So I guess I should apologize for that a little bit. Uh, but Sean was very funny in the post game, where um, it was hard to hear. I tried to amplify the sound, but when we were asking the questions, we didn't get a microphone in Chicago. You actually posted the full press conference on the Musketeer Report page. Uh, so if you want to go back and listen to it, you can. But it's 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 really hard to hear. Adam asks a great question where he says, you know, you had Sule Boom last year, Sean. Now you have Quincy Oliveri this year, where these are both guys that you only were able to coach for one year. Xavier fans enjoy these guys for one year. What is it like for you to know that you get such a special talent, but you're only able to coach them for one year? And Sean's response was very funny, very Sean of, well, who's to say we only have them for one year? Has anybody checked in on that? There's never a hard no. And yeah. that was very tongue in cheek. It was very funny. He got off the, the, the camera cut and he got off the stage and Greg Christopher was standing right to my right. Tom Iser was sitting right in front of me. Uh, so he was looking over at Greg. He was looking at Tom. He knew exactly what he was saying and what he was doing. I do think a couple of people make a point on Twitter where eventually in today's landscape, somebody is going to sue the NCAA for eligibility beyond four years in the NIL era. At some point that will happen. But in this particular case, no. Quincy uh, has not used a red shirt. He can't red shirt uh, because obviously he's played. Uh, this is his COVID year. He can't come back next year. That's it. End of story. But it was still a very Sean Miller moment in the, in the post game to say there is never a hard no. <laughs> Just Sean having fun. I was a little surprised. I didn't realize people were actually asking the question. Like I saw these comments last night and I thought people were just having fun on social media. And then the questions continued into this morning and they're like on the message board and stuff. So I was like, oh, like people are actually thinking this is a possibility. So, yeah, we should probably address it that Quincy Oliveri has definitely exhausted his eligibility after this year. And, and quite honestly, after the year he's having, I'm sure he's going to parlay that, try to parlay this into whatever professional success he can have, whether that's in the NBA or overseas. I mean, he's having a, a great year and, and really showcasing his abilities on both ends of the floor. So I guess the, the final thing I, I would say about Quincy Paul is this. We talked about the expectations for him as a player. And when he committed, you know, we've read the stories. We saw the pieces the local news stations had done, you know, near Rice, where they were talking about his personality and, and what a big smile and a uh, big personality he has. And so we knew, okay, this guy's going to be fun to be here for a year. But he has gone way above and beyond the typical 
student athlete relationship with the fans and what you would expect out of a charismatic guy who, who has a good press conference. I mean, the, the stuff he's been doing with the Chick-fil-A and the going to the, the little Catholic school lunch day with, with the yeah. kids and signing autographs after games and doing all these things, reaching out, having his mom send signed posters to all these people for Christmas. I mean, all of this stuff is just, I mean, he's really endeared himself to this fan base and there's been a lot of special classy individuals that have come through Xavier and played basketball at Xavier. But uh, even in just a short time here, Quincy is going to end up ranking among the top of those. Yeah. And I just got to give a shout out to him because it is, it's very genuine. And I think a lot of people wonder about that. Is he doing this for the camera? Is he doing this just because the camera's on him and he's playing well? And you know, is this actually who he is? Even if he is Paul at this point, he's put like 40 hours of, off the court time into like these endeavor. Like he's doing like a, yeah. a, a part-time job with all the stuff he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he's very genuine about it. He's an extremely nice guy. He always makes time for us, whether it's an interview or whether it's after practice and he comes up and talks to us and just, you know, enjoys his time around the program. He's always laughing with everybody. He gets along with everybody. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, shoe Schuminger asked, does Q do all these things, uh, that they need to be approved by the team, the school, and the coach. I think the the one thing that I have heard uh, is not so much that they have to be approved, but more so uh, make sure you don't stretch yourself too thin on uh, on the uh, you know you, you are playing practice. basketball. Yeah, 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 yeah. It can't be like St. Mary's lunch at three p.m. today. We've got practice. <laughs> the school program will have to wait. Yeah, but uh, you know, as far as as long as it's stuff that he can do in his free time and it doesn't interfere with what he's doing on the court, he's allowed to do all those things. Um, I'm sure you know if there was something with compliance, like they would step in, but nothing that he is doing in any way interferes with anything that um, is going on with the team. He's he's very genuine. He's nice. He's great for the community, and uh, yeah, so it's it's fun to see him doing this and it's an opportunity over the next month that, you know, if he's a guy that gets to play in the NCAA tournament because Xavier wins six of their last nine games or seven of their last nine games and puts himself in a position to get into the NCAA tournament, it's going to be due in large part to his play. Um, you know, I know he had that heat check three, which was laugh out loud funny when he pulls up from 10 feet beyond the arc and Sean Miller, uh, which I got to give a shout out to DePaul because, uh, where their media seating is you're right next to the bench so we're we're right the there we, we, it is unbelievable yeah. on the baseline um being able to hear sean and hear everything he's saying um and that heat check three that quincy took and then immediately i mean that ball was barely off the rim and sean was all right let's go <laughs> even though he had scored like 16 of the last 18 points or whatever. That's the key. The context is the key. I mean, he had literally dominated the game in an absurd fashion over the last three minutes where he had scored <laughs> 16 of 18 points for Xavier. And Sean's like, he checked, get out of there. Don't take effed up shots. Not playing. I don't, think, I don't think that ball was an inch off the rim when my eyes went over to Sean and I saw him doing one of these. <laughs> I was I was laughing out loud watching that as well. That was a classic yeah. Sean Miller moment right there. It was. Never stops coaching. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's Quincy Oliveri. Let's uh, let's move on to Lazar Djokovic. Uh, had 13 minutes against DePaul. He did not play against St. John's. Hit a three against DePaul. Um, I think a lot of fans. We've talked a lot about the expectations for Lazar coming into the season. He's had to navigate playing here on this team, trying to find a role. Maybe this is a little bit of a spark for him. The thing that stands out to me, Paul, is the staff keeps giving him chances. They keep putting him out there. They keep giving him more opportunities. And we had talked, you know, uh, Kashi Enze got those uh, mop-up duty minutes against UConn, and Sean gave him a lot of praise after that game, saying he came in and he did what he was supposed to in, in the time that he got. And we thought, well, well, he maybe start seeing some of these extra front-court minutes that Lazar has been getting and and lo and behold in this DePaul game they go right back to the Lazar he get he gets some minutes in the first half there and the biggest thing to me was he got to see that first shot go through the hoop he's in there for 10 seconds he gets a wide open three on the right wing he knocks it down and he just hasn't had that chance much this year he's a guy yep. who's skilled he's used to shooting and scoring and he's had to learn to do all the other things without seeing the ball go through the hoop. And I think that's been a challenge for him because you saw that ball went in and then he played 13 of the best minutes that he's played 
all season long. And I think the thing that's really going to earn him some favor with the coaches is the way he played defensively. Xavier was having a really hard time defending inside without fouling in this game. And he comes in and uh, they always talk about verticality, right? Being able to go straight up without reaching down or fouling uh, shooters, just being able to contest while staying in your space and going straight up and using your length. He did a great job of that. He was going up, contesting around the rim, making it tough on them to finish, but not fouling. Now, granted, it's DePaul, and that probably helped him as much as anything, but uh, he hasn't done that in other games. And in other games that Xavier had leads and the opponent wasn't as good, he hasn't been able to do those things. So I just thought that uh, the, the defensive prowess he showed, which has probably been his biggest issue, defense and rebounding, and the reason he's struggled to, to get on the court as much, he, he was solid in that regard. And that's really what the coaching staff is looking for from him right now. Yeah, and... Now the question is, can he continue to fill that role down the stretch? Is this an opportunity for him that over these last nine games, um, can you go out there? Can you give that same kind of production, especially in some of these games where you're seeing bigger bodies on the floor, some of these guys that he's going to have to match up with if he is in the game? Um, It's just building confidence. It's just instilling in him that this is the Big East. you got to be physical. you got to go up into a player. He's very... when you see him hitting a lot of these, like in practice, if it's a fadeaway instead of going up into a player, it's just embracing that physicality. And once he does that, because that's what this coaching staff preaches, Sean Miller wants nothing more than somebody who's not going to back down, somebody who's going to be tough, somebody who's going to go up into a player, body them, be physical, get rebounds, go to the foul line, all those things. He's a talented shooter. He has maybe the one of the best forms on the team as far as shooting goes, if stepping into a shot. So once he embraces that physicality and can really step into that role, I think that's when you see it expand. Now, was this lightning in a bottle on Saturday or was this a a tale of something more? We'll see here over the next week. Well, one thing I I would point out is Adam Cohen did Sean Miller's post-game interview on the radio with uh, Joe and Steve Wolf after this game. And he brought up the, the fact that Lazar has been practicing really well. And I know that sometimes can kind of be a throwaway line that, that coaches will use. But in this case, with a guy like Lazar, who's, you know, let's, I mean, they didn't even play him at all in their last game. And then he comes back out and he gets 13 minutes in this one. Like, I don't think they're BSing about that. I, I think they're, they're being pretty straightforward about what he needs to do and why he's not playing or why he is. And I think for Adam to say, you know, he's been practicing well recently. It just hasn't translated to games yet was part of the reason why they continue to give him more chances. And I think to your question about will he be able to give them a lift down the stretch here? I don't think it'll be a lift in the sense that like he's going to start being a third or fourth scoring option for them and and have 10 or 15 point games. But is it crazy to think that Abu Usman might get in foul trouble early in an important game down the stretch? I don't think that's crazy at all. I think that's probably likely and likely the idea that he might be able to step in for five key minutes and play solid defense for you. That's where he could really give them a lift. I think. I wasn't going to bring up practice only because we're privileged to be able to go to practice. And and I don't like to talk about a whole lot of those things because it is closed except to us. So, um, but since you, you mentioned it with Adam, um, I mean, Adam's opinion, obviously greatly outweighs what I'm about to say, but he, I, if you would ask me, Paul, how does Lazar practice? I would say, because a lot of people ask about this on the board, they say, well, he's getting minutes because he must be practicing well. He has been, lately especially. And in the beginning, I think a lot of it was trying to learn the system. I think Sean would get frustrated sometimes where maybe he's out of position or he's not in the system. He's not doing what he needs to be doing. And lately, you've seen him do that. You've seen him hit shots more in practice. And those are the kinds of things where it's going to speak to your ability to then go out and do that in a game. I think the other thing that some people may, it, this may help some fans, is a lot of people have brought up the idea of like, how could the expectations for him be so high before the season? Like, obviously, the coaching staff was talking about he would have been starting had he not been injured for the first game. Um, we know where the national guys like Rothstein and Fanton Goodman got their information from that he was looking so good. We know they heard comments from the coaching staff along those lines to be saying things like that. So how did we get from that point to where we've been for most of the season with Lazar, where he's, he's not playing as many minutes and, he, and he's not very productive? I think one thing you might be able to point to is Xavier's front court was pretty bad defensively. 
especially early this season. So when he came in right away and he was looking pretty good, part of that was, well, he's probably playing without thinking before he really knew the system and he's playing free and a little more confident. And as things have gotten tougher, he's lost some confidence. But part of it was also he was scoring against guys who weren't great Big East defenders. And when he got up against really talented big men in in real game action, it was even harder than it was in practice against his own teammates. So I think that might be part of it too, is maybe uh, we didn't know at the time, but his early success this year when he first got to campus might've told us a little bit about the issues Xavier was going to have defending opposing front courts. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. That's a great point. Um, All right, let's move on now. Uh, Let's talk about, you you know, we're already on the front court. Um, who do you currently would you say Rick have confidence in for the front court rotation next year? Because again, just to clarify, Quincy Oliveri is the only player that as of February 5th, we know will not be on this team next year. I'm sure there will be transfers. I'm sure there will be turnover, but as of right now, he's the only player that we don't, that we know for sure can't be on there. His eligibility is expired. Uh, what do you think about next year's for a minute? Yeah. So this comes from a conversation that, It's been going on the musketeerreport.com message board, which by the way, if you're watching this, listening to this right now on Monday, we have a flash sale going on right now. 75% off. You can get an annual VIP subscription for 75% off. It's like $2.24 per month, less than pretty much anything you can buy at a fast food or a gas station these days. Cheaper than your coffee, cheaper than your fountain drinks. Just sign up. You'll check it multiple times every single day. Promise you won't regret it. But the conversation... That happened. That's been going on on the message board has been about the future of the front court and how this rotation looks. And obviously, Lazar, who we're talking about now, plays a big role in that conversation. But part of the reason this is so difficult to figure out, and it's been such a big conversation on the message board, is there's a lot of unknowns because of Jerome Hunter and Zach Fremantle. Not unknown what the plan is. We know that they are expected to come back next year, and Xavier is counting on having them in the rotation. But you'd also be completely naive or just dumb to think that that's 100% foolproof and there's no issues with the possibility of Jerome Hunter and Zach Fremantle returning to full game action, right? I mean, like, Jerome is coming off major heart issues and things that aren't exactly clear. They've, They've cleared him every step of the way. He's returned to practice now, but... Who's to say that something else won't come up down the line? Obviously, everyone is is hoping for the best, but I don't think you can 100% say everything's going to be great there. And then also with Zach, you're on your third foot surgery. So same boat. You can't just automatically assume everything's going to be great there. But at the same time, you have these guys. You know they are good Big East players. You'd love to have them starting for you next year. Uh, and so you're going to take that chance and assume that they will be the starters, I think, going into next year. And that's how I would see it. I would see Zach Fremantle at the five and Jerome Hunter at the four as your starters. I know some people look at that and say, well, is Zach really a starting center in the big East? I thought he had some defensive issues there when we, we've tried that before. That's the case, but I'm just telling you right now, if your if your roster is exactly the same, if he was available right now this year, Zach Fremantle would be starting at the center spot. He would clearly yeah. be the best center on this team. So I feel pretty good about saying going into next year, He would be my starting five. Jerome would be my starting four. And then from there, Paul, I mean, it gets really interesting because you still have Gitas for another year. You still have Abu for another year. And then obviously you have all of the freshmen in theory. Kachi, Lazar, Sasha. All of those guys can come back. And that's behind Jerome and Zach in theory. So, I mean, the conversation about Will all of these guys be back next year? Will the the staff look to even add more front court player? That's a very legitimate question, and it's one without an easy or obvious answer, even for the staff right now. Like, I don't. Th- I think they have a plan, but I don't think they one hundred percent know how this thing is going to go or exactly what they want to do just yet. No, and I think the other point that I would make with this, because I think you just hit on a lot of what I was going to say, is that there's going to be a lot of turnover in the Big East next year, as far as star power goes, you think a lot of these names that probably aren't going to be back next year in the Big East. um, Now, some of these could be names that, uh, 
may be able to use another year. I think Tyler Kolick's going to be gone next year. I don't know if he can come back for another year, what his COVID deal was. His freshman year was 2020-2021, so he might be able to come back one more year. But you think like guys like Eric Dixon, Justin Moore, Tristan Newton, you know, Baylor Shireman, all these bigger names. Joel Soriano, he might – I think Soriano's gone. I think this was his last year. It is his last year. So you think of a lot of big names around the Big East and what Xavier might be able to do. And I'm just talking about Xavier's positioning in the conference next year, assuming this roster matures as we think it will. I don't want to stir the pot on February 5th where we're still doing bracketology for the 2024 season. But next year has a chance to really be something for Xavier in the Big East, I think. Well, maybe, but I mean, you ha- the, the front court situation has to be figured out. And I guess the, the big question is, would you be going to get another big man in the transfer portal. I think that's what where the question comes in and what, what people are mostly debating because some people are saying like, hey, we've got this log jam already, all the names we just listed that are coming back for next year. And yet, I think some people would still say you could use an upgrade at the center position especially. And I, I would agree with that. Like I, I would be very much of the opinion that, and I would assume the coaching staff is feeling this way, that we are going to go look for another starting center in the transfer portal and try to upgrade if we can. Um, But at the same time, if you weren't able to do that, I don't think you would feel terrible about the idea of starting Zach Freeman with Abu Usman backing him up next year. I agree. And I think the experience that Abu has gotten this year, I've said this many times on the show that he was recruited to play behind these guys and now he's gained experience as the starter. So I think that'll play a very important role. It'll be valuable for next year. But one thing I was talking about with some of my friends last night is I really miss the Tyreek Jones effect. I really miss that big bruising forward, that big bruising front court player where you look at guys like, you know, Donovan Klingon or a Zach Eady and those guys, that's not to say that you can just find those guys anywhere, but that for as much as basketball has gone away from the true five, the true center, the post up back to the basket type of player, it seems like the guys that are able to do that have been having a lot of success as far as the teams go. And part of that is because they are such unicorns. I understand, but there, there is a part of me that really misses that. Just shove it down your throat, you know, bruiser, big power forward center. Well, it's back in the college game, Paul. It's not going anywhere. There's a real resurgence in the post game in college basketball. And the reason for that is, is the NBA has completely gone away from it. So they find those guys to be useless. The 6'8 to 6'10 bruisers that can score with their back to the baskets are pretty much useless in the NBA. But now we have NIL in college. So if you can dominate the low post, you're willing to come back and earn another 150K the following year instead of taking your chances overseas or getting your tryout in the the NBA only to find out you're going to get cut in summer league and never be heard from again. Those guys are now staying in college an extra few. I mean, look at Armando Baycott. He was supposed to be a one-and-done guy, and he's going to be like a 17-year starter at North Carolina <laughs> now and never win anything. So, like, I think I think this is going to be a real thing going forward, is that you're going to continue to see big men dominate college basketball, and you're going to continue to see teams re- rely on having multiple big men and playing through the post a bit more because you're going to have the most talent at those positions in college basketball, the, the the overwhelming talented players that don't necessarily work in the NBA, but dominate college will stick around college longer now. And so I think that's a real thing. And um, as it relates to Xavier, I, you can't bring all these guys back. I think one of the freshman big men are probably not going to be back next year, at least maybe multiple, but it would not surprise me at all if they did look to bring in an upgrade at the center position. I mean, you think about Arizona, right? And Max points it out in the chat. You think about these guys that uh, some of Sean's guys, DeAndre Ayton, uh, Umar Balo, who's there right now. And I know a lot of Arizona fans are writing off Balo, but he had a great game last night against Stanford. Uh, Azulis Tubelis. Some of these names that are big guys in the front court that can go out there and score for you, but they can mix it up. Give me one of those guys, Rick. Bring me one of those guys because those those Xavier's missing. All I want is Zach Eady or Donovan Klingon. Nothing big, just a seven foot two lottery pick. Come on, just get him one of those. 
we're really going to do this Purdue thing again, aren't we, this year in the tournament? How far do you think Purdue's going in the tournament? Uh, past the first round, but I do not have them in my final four. I, I think they are actually flawed. I, I don't think it's just like a random thing. I, I just don't think their guards are dynamic enough, even though they're very good players. Yeah, I just... I watched that game yesterday against Wisconsin. And I, I just watched so much Purdue, and I just it eats at me. But he's so good. All right, let's move on. Let's keep going. Uh, Villanova this week. Villanova, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock at Cintas. Then Saturday, it is Creighton at noon at Cintas. Two games at home this week. Uh, from the first game against Villanova, we all know what happened. Xavier was one point away, and they were about four or five inches away on a Des Claude shot from a buzzer beating win at the pavilion. Instead, it was a one point loss. Rick, what, uh, what do you expect on Wednesday night? Well, I think back to that game, I just remember Xavier not really playing well. It being kind of a frustrating game for Xavier. And yet at the end of the game, like you said, they had a legit chance to win it. Um, Miss a ton of shots around the rim and in the mid range and didn't give get like a lot of key defensive rebounds in that game where it led to second chance opportunities. So I, I felt and I remember Sean Miller after the game commenting on the fact that he felt defensive rebounding really lost him that game, even though the the raw numbers may not have suggested. I think Xavier actually had an, an edge in offensive rebounding, but the time and situations that they gave up second chance points were were really devastating in that game. So I think now, granted, you got to remember Justin Moore didn't play in that first game. So that yep. will make a difference, but he has not been playing very well since he's come back. He missed like four or five games. There, Xavier was one of them since he's been back. I mean, he's had a lot of games where he's been scoring in single digits and, and not giving them a whole lot. So uh, he's definitely, he definitely makes them a different matchup, but He's not setting the world on fire, and I don't think it, it creates a huge issue for Xavier. So I like how the Musketeers match up. I think this is a good opportunity for them at home. I agree. I think that this is a very realistic week that they could go 2-0. I think Xavier does beat Villanova on Wednesday night. Um, what do you think about Saturday? I thought they matched up with, you know, Creighton has like one too many perimeter weapons, it feels like. But I thought they did an okay job of matching up with them in the first half or in the first matchup between Xavier and Creighton. It wasn't, they weren't completely dominated in that game or anything. So uh, I think they have, they have a chance. The issue with it is Kalkbrenner being so good around the basket. It allows Creighton to really just extend that defense and they don't give Quincy Oliveri many opportunities to get going from the outside. So Xavier's going to have to find some other source of offense a little bit easier to do that at home versus on the road in Omaha, but you got to get someone else going than just hoping Quincy can get hot from three because Creighton really is able to extend out and take away those perimeter looks with, with the way they funnel everything into the mid range. Yep. All right. So Villanova comes into Wednesday night's game at 12 and 10 overall five and six in the big East. They're coming off that win over Providence on Sunday after losing five straight games, they had lost six of seven and five in a row uh, they beat Providence on Sunday, at, killed Providence on Sunday, and it, I mean, they won 68 to 50, and it really wasn't even that close. Providence scored 16 points in the first half of that game. Um, I, I'm still very out on Villanova. I, I don't have faith in them right now at all, doing really much of anything. I think this would be a tough pill for Xavier to swallow if they can't win this game at home. Um, I know this was a game that Xavier lost last year at Centos. And it was a frustrating one that Xavier led. They felt like they should have won. And then Villanova came back and got that win. I think it was a one possession game that sticks in your mind. Um, and I think that this is a, a winnable game. As far as Creighton goes on Saturday, they are 16 and six overall. They have Providence this Wednesday uh, on the road in Rhode Island. They're playing back to back road games after three straight home games. Uh, Providence or uh, Creighton right now, 16 and six on the season, seven and four in the Big East, and they are a shoe in for the NCAA tournament. Just depends on the seed. Paul, that that Villanova loss from last year may be on your mind, may even be on Sean Miller's mind, may even be on Desmond Claude's mind. Not sure anyone else is going to remember much from that when they, when they tip it off. 
Yeah, that was that was disgusting. That was uh, 64-63. Xavier lost that game. It was their last loss of the regular season, February 21st. God, that was gross. That was yeah. terrible. Another one-point loss. Fortunately or unfortunately, if you wanted them to be using that game as a revenge factor, no one on the team knows about it. Nobody. Except yeah. So <laughs> it ain't going to matter. Uh, Paul, let's uh, shill some stuff real quick here again. I mentioned it before, but Musketeer Report, 75% off sale right now. Annual VIP subscription. So if you've been thinking about it, you're like, what is this message board stuff they're talking about? I'm not really into that type of thing. Just try it out because it's not going to cost you anything. It's $224 per month. You're not even going to notice you're spending it. and then. Lo and behold, a few weeks into this, you're going to be checking your phone three, four, five times a day to get on the message board and see what people are saying about Xavier Hoops. If you're a real Xavier basketball fan, you will love the Musketeer Report message board. And right now is the best deal we offer. You can get it 75% off today only. Uh, Paul, Sean Miller podcast. You just had Dale and Terry, former Sean Miller uh, player at Arizona. He's now playing for the Chicago Bulls. He's gone on to great things. So uh, that should be a really good episode. I would assume I have not listened to it yet. Yeah, I thought it was great. I There were three big things that we talked about. One, which I think for Xavier fans that are listening to this, that want to know how much a player wants to play for Sean. One of the things Dalen talked about, and this was in the opening segment, was he, he kept saying, you know, uh, I think it was uh, James Ganey was calling him the assistant coach at uh, at Arizona, and he said, "And I Ganey was calling me. Ganey was calling me, but Sean wasn't calling me. And I kept waiting for Sean to call me. And seeing how much Dalen wanted to play for Sean, he's from Arizona, and uh, what that meant to actually get that call, commit to him. But then the only year that Dalen played for Sean was the COVID year, where there was nobody in the stands. So having to navigate that, what that was like." and what he learned from freshman to sophomore year, then playing for Tommy Lloyd, now his second year in the NBA, some of the lessons that he remembered Sean telling him from his freshman year and some of those things that you have to learn from your first year to your second year in college, first year, second year in the NBA. Just a really, to me, a really, I learned a lot listening to him, sit there next, sitting there next to him, talking to him, uh, and getting to hear some of those stories. So if you're a Xavier fan listening to this and uh, maybe you're not so interested in Arizona, I would highly recommend going and listening. I am very hopeful. I'd say there's a 60% chance that next week's episode uh, is a is one that nobody listening to this will want to miss. We haven't locked it down yet. We're not 100% sure, but we're hoping that next week's episode is an absolute can't miss. I hope I didn't just... Uh, I hope I hope it's not a letdown if it's not, but we're, we're, I wouldn't say that if we weren't fairly confident that we're going to be able to get it done. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. But yeah, Dalen's this week was great. Um, so appreciate that. Rick, you'll be on the rebound rundown tomorrow. We've had a lot of fun with that. I will say I've had a lot of fun with that uh, over the last few weeks. Instead of going off the script, I've kind of been able to just riff a little bit, share some more takes, and just have some fun with that show that I uh, kind of changed the format up with it over the last month or so. So that's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you joining that. Um, and uh, I guess just to close this this week, we will podcast again. I would say next Monday is a good target for that because uh, going into next week, uh, Xavier will only play one game next week. That's Seton Hall, and then they have a bye week. Uh, they won't play a weekend game on the 17th or 18th. They'll have a bye week until the following week. So we'll follow up next week with a podcast and then uh, maybe take a, a week and a half off or so before uh, we really get going into that last stretch of conference play. It is hard to imagine that it's already February 5th, and the Big East tournament is five weeks away. It's just crazy. It is. All right, so, that's all we got. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Appreciate everybody spending uh, maybe a late lunch hour with us here on the Musketeer Report podcast. Everybody that was listening live, if you're watching it on YouTube or if you're just checking in, you can always go back, subscribe to the podcast channel later. Uh, and hey, by the yeah. way, we saw the Twitter comments today. The Twitter comments are coming yes. in. We were able to pop those up and reply to those. So that's great. We can broadcast on all platforms now. All right. For Rick, I'm Paul signing off. Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy your day.